your home for jazz at night from 7 until 10. Allison, are you able to hear me? George at 100.3 FM. This is KDXI St. George, Radio St. George at 100.3 FM. And we now present to you On the Arts, an hour of discussion and discovery about the arts in St. George and Southern Utah. And now your hosts for On the Arts, Michael and Christina Harding. Good afternoon, St. George. This is Michael Harding. Unfortunately, Christina won't be joining us today. I'm happy to say it's because Christina is actually quite busy. She's working with a group up north who we're going to be chatting with, a group named Women of Will. And uh, we actually have a few representatives on the line with us. Allison, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you, Michael. Fantastic. Uh, I just wanted to make sure. I mentioned last week that using the technology here is sometimes uh, a little difficult uh, as far as how many buttons to push and such. I'm just very happy that we actually got Amy on the line. We also have Nicole Yerke joining us. She's one of the producers of Women of Will. Before we get into some details about what Women of Will is, I always like to start out by letting people know of some events that are happening around town if they'd be interested in checking out some of the offerings. We do have tonight, October 29th, from 7 to 8.30 at the Electric Theater downtown. That's 68 East Tabernacle Street. Some top L.A. and Utah comedians performing. Please do know that the minimum age of the audience is... 14. We want to make sure that uh, we don't offend too many people. We think that the content will be uh, decent and will certainly be very funny, but we do want to make sure that uh, people do understand that some of it may not be kid-friendly necessarily. But we also have all sorts of other options that are coming up around town for people to experience. We've got all sorts of Christmas shows that are starting. I know it's not even Halloween yet, but a lot of the artistic groups are starting to put together their concerts. They're starting to put together their dance recitals. In fact, we have a dance group right outside right now doing some narration. We're going to try to get them here on On the Arts. So please do keep your ears to the ground about all of these opportunities to experience the arts. As well, I encourage everybody to keep an eye out for auditions. We have a lot of people who are interested in going to support the arts, but they don't know where to go in order to get involved. So please keep your eye out in the newspapers. Please keep your eye out in various public forums to find out when these auditions are. All of the local vocal groups do hold auditions. All of the local theaters hold auditions. There are a lot of opportunities to get involved if you happen to go to an event and say, hey, I think I could do that. So we do want to encourage everybody to be involved as much as possible. Now, regarding the group that I have online right now that we're going to be talking to, Women of Will, I wanted to start with just a little bit of a story about some things that happen here. I am not only a professional actor, I do work around the country, but I do teach here at Dixie State University as well. And quite often, I've got students who come to me saying, I have this great idea for a show, this great idea for a play, or this great concept I've got to do with Shakespeare or Marlowe or Ibsen. And they just say, which entity around town should I go to about getting this produced? And it always turns into an interesting discussion about opportunity, about availability, about the money and logistics of putting together a production. And quite often, I look at the faces of my students and I see that they keep growing with discouragement when they realize that there's a lot that goes into putting these productions on, especially if you approach an already existing organization. And I know there are a lot of people who they think their ideas will never, ever be brought to fruition if they go that route. Well, my talk always ends with my students of, why don't you go and do it yourself? And there's always this look of confusion in their eyes, like, well, what about the money? What about uh, having to uh, put out marketing and things of that sort? And my response is always like, if you're going to start out doing art, You can't start at the top. You can't automatically be a Tony Award-winning theater. You can't automatically be a regional presence. What you need is a group of people who want to get together, who want to do art, and once they start doing what they believe in, the audience will start showing up. That's how theaters grow. That's how they work. Quite often, a lot of times, artists, they want to begin as 
being seen as this fully-fledged organization. I think it's somewhat akin to somebody who wants to look like an oak tree, but they don't want to go out there and plant the seed and be a small tree first. And so I'm always encouraged whenever a student says, hey, I think I might be able to do this, and they start thinking of creative ways to find spaces, creative ways to light their shows, creative ways to apply sound. And all of a sudden, what I call theater is born. And you have these little groups who are doing this stuff, and they become more and more popular because they invite friends, and those friends invite friends. And then all of a sudden, they have a presence where they can go to the city, or they can go to different organizations and say, hey, we're doing this. And we'd love it if you'd be a part of it, if you'd sponsor us, if you'd give us a few bucks here and there, and then they can grow. I'd like to encourage everybody listening out there, and hopefully our listenership has grown to double digits, we're hoping at this point. Uh, We hope that you will take advantage of some of the opportunities out there and some of the enthusiasm out there to actually create your part, not only theater, but uh, to go out there and start concerts, gather a group that loves to sing and sing. If you like to paint, go out there and show off your paintings, or you like to sculpt, or you like to write. There are lots of opportunities to get your words out there. Now, this brings me to the guests we have on the line right now. First of all, I'd like to introduce Allison King. How are you today? I'm good, Michael. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm really excited to have Women of Will represented on the show today because it seems to me that Women of Will, the organization, started just the way that I was trying to introduce my students to art. Um, Can you tell us a little bit, you are the director of the current production of Comedy of Errors? Yes. Gotcha. And uh, tell me, how did you come to be the director of this show? How did that happen? Well, for the first two years, um, I was an actor in the show, and I just knew the four women that started the company and auditioned. Just like you said, I found it um, online, the audition, and I showed up and got cast and continued to do shows with them. And then this last year, um, our previous director had gone away to graduate school, and they asked for people to submit their ideas, and I submitted my concept. We had a little meeting about it, and they chose me to be the director, and I'm super excited to be working with Women of Will in this capacity. Fantastic. I I would like to talk a little bit about the production uh, after a, a little bit of explanation as to what Women of Will actually is. Could you enlighten us on that? Michael, I'm going to turn you over to Nicole here. She's our um, spokesperson for the Organization of Women of Will, so here she is. Tremendous. Uh, and this is Nicole Hope Yerke. Do I have that correct? Yes, you do. You found me on Facebook, I see. <laughs> yes. Uh, I do have to say, uh, this is something I tell all of my guests. I do my research, hopefully not in a creepy way, but I do stalk people on <laughs> Facebook and uh, just to get to know folks. Uh, but tell us, who the heck are you? Um, <laughs> well, I'm Nicole Hope Yerke. Um, I started with Women of Will last year, and I also was just an actor. I had heard about the audition. I had heard about the audition online, just like we said, and I came and I was cast, and I was obsessed with what they were doing for this community. To me, it was something that was so grassroots and what theater is to me, and it was really reaching the community in ways that I thought maybe other theater wasn't. So I just jumped on board, and in January early this year, I was like, "Hey, I want to be a part of your team. Here's why." And they listened to me, and they took me on. Um, You asked us what Women of Will is, and I would say that Women of Will is dedicated to honest theater by women for all by balancing opportunities, taking risks, and producing quality work, which I think we've done with Allison and Comedy of Errors so far. I've been hearing great things, and and as I mentioned earlier, uh, my wife, Christina, she is a part of this. She plays, uh, she's going to love me for saying this, but she plays the French hooker. Am I correct on this? (laughs) having so much fun working with Christina. It's, it's been a joy to have her come to rehearsals and to watch her character develop. And I think um, her experience in theater has really helped inspire some of these other women to, to give all they can give and take risks on stage that they might not have taken before. So Christina has been a great asset to our, um, to our mission and our quality work. Gotcha. And I agree. I think she's a great asset all the way around. Uh, And again, to the listeners who love tuning into the show and listening to our commentary, our witty banter, uh, she sends her apologies, but she is very busy, which we're happy to say in the arts. Now, you can't get away from the fact that your your organization is called Women of Will. And you mentioned that it was a theater for and uh, about women doing the work. Could you go further with that? 
Yeah, so um, we realized uh, that women um, are less likely to be cast as they become mothers or if they don't have a degree or if they don't look a certain way or if they didn't jump through certain hoops. And I'm not a founding member. Uh, that would be Sammy Allred, Alexander Stavros, Caitlin Mills, and Britannia Howe. But uh, three out of those four women are mothers, and they realized that they had to kind of give up being an artist to be a mom and a woman, essentially. So they came together, and they were like, no, this is not how it should be. And so that's kind of like the fire we carry, that you can be any woman from any walk of life, and you have a place here. And we do it all. We just, Allison and I are literally dusty. We just finished putting together the stage. <laughs> literally putting the thing up. And it's at the Frontier Homestead Museum. Am I correct on that? Yes, it is. Fantastic. Now, I want to make something clear to our listeners and also let you know my understanding so you can correct me if I, I am incorrect on this. There are a lot of people out there, uh, especially some of the old-school theater folks from southern Utah, who when they hear the title Women of Will, they automatically get their hackles up. Or they get uh, a reaction of, oh, this is women saying this is about women, this is for women politically. And I had a wonderful conversation with a woman named Melinda Funstein. And this was not last season of On the Arts, but actually two seasons ago in season two. And we talked about the reaction that uh, some people were having to it. And she put it beautifully. She said this has nothing to do with politics or anything like that. This is an opportunity for women like you were saying who won't necessarily be looked at for certain realms of theater, and that doesn't mean all realms of theater, but to make sure that they have the opportunity to speak these words. They have the opportunity to do theater, and why not create it for yourself? Is that fair to say? That's absolutely fair to say, and I think earlier I said women being tapped, but for us it goes a little further than that. We have an all-women creative team, and like I said, all our technicians are women, our designers are women, and we try to, it's nothing political, it's just trying to provide opportunity for women that they might not get otherwise, just like you said. Absolutely. And one of the things that she said, uh, Melinda said, and, and I know this, that was when we were talking about an organization called Statera, which uh, I know is not the same thing, but I know there is a lot of crossover with some of your members of Women of Will. Uh, she was mentioning that one time she went to a play and took her daughters, and it was a Shakespeare play, and she thought to herself, how wonderful for them to be able to see an actress play a role that's normally played by a man, not for a political purpose, but to realize that they, too, could get something from that role, from that play. Uh, I think it's a wonderful, beautiful thing that you're offering. Uh, Michael, I've got to say, for women doing theater, I think that the only thing that separates women and men in theater is that men are getting cast in roles that are written for men. But in reality, women experience the same emotions, the same heartbreak, the same anger, the same love that men experience. So I think we can um, create those roles and craft them and portray them to the audience just as well as a man, that it doesn't matter if you're male or female. And we don't change, in this particular play, we didn't change the pronouns within the show. Because it's just about it's just about the emotion that's happening on stage. It's not that we're women or that we're not men. It's that we're experiencing something that any human can experience. And I think and I've actually talked to a couple of people that are um, planning to bring their daughters to the show because they want to see strong women doing strong roles. And I, I do want to emphasize to audiences as well. Um, this isn't just a play that's going to be performed just for women. I've attended both Julius Caesar two years ago as well as Pericles last year. And I'll tell you, I love what you were saying about it being just about people, about being characters. And I had a great time. Even as a man, I didn't feel like it was any kind of uh, uh, preaching or what have you. I saw a group of artists wanting to work together. Right, and I think that the community, uh, you were saying earlier that there's some backlash from some maybe people. But in Cedar City, we, I feel like we've been welcomed with open arms because when you just really lay things down to the baseline of people are people experience the same things, we might deal with them differently, but that has nothing to do with our gender. It has everything to do with how we were brought up, different things. But it doesn't matter that we're men or women, and the community responds very well to that. It seems like every year we get a bigger audience, and every year we get more people wanting to help and support us. So it's, 
it's also well-received by everybody, just like you were saying. And my family aren't theater people, and they enjoy this more than they enjoy seeing my shows in college because, you know, we're like in a museum, and we're just like some people who just are putting on a show for no reason other than to put on the show. Right. So, yeah. I think, and, and just to let you know, this is a, a technical thing. You're cutting in and out when you speak. Um, I, I don't know if it's because you're turning away from something or what have you, but just so you know, I may uh, occasionally interrupt and say, hey, could you repeat that? Uh, oh, sure. And please know it's not only is it because of technical di- difficulties, but I want you to know it was brilliant. It was profound. So we want you to say it again. Uh, now, that's one of the things I've always liked about classical theater is that it is about people. And I want to make sure people know that this is not radically new when it comes down to it. There are theater companies all over, not only the United States, but all over the world who are simply like-minded individuals. And of course you're going to have groups. Sometimes we have ethnic groups that get together. We have all Asian theaters or all African-American theaters. We have all women theaters. There's something uh, out there that's really growing, a trend for LGBTQ theater and things of that sort. Gender and stereotypes are being completely busted in favor of people and human beings playing these characters. Uh, I think it's a wonderful thing, actually, that this is being offered for the community. I'm glad to hear that Cedar City has uh, welcomed you with open arms. Now, I have to ask, we talk about how anybody can relate to these classical shows as far as being people. You're doing comedy of errors. I don't know how many twins we have out there or how many people have been in a situation like that. I have to ask, why? What made you choose comedy of errors? Uh, well, Michael, I am a twin. This is Allison, and I am a twin. I have a twin sister, and um, we are identical <laughs> down to our down to our teeth. We are we look exactly the same, and for years, our um, parents wouldn't even put us in the same class because our teachers couldn't tell us apart. <laughs> so, <laughs> personally, for me, this show hits the nail on the head when it comes to being a twin. One time, this is a silly story, but one time in high school. I was on a, my sister and I were on a trip with school, and I was in a store, and she was in, she was in a different store, and I looked up, and I said, oh, hey, Andrea, and then I realized I was looking in a mirror. (laughs) That is how, (laughs) how identical we are, that I even mistook myself for my sister. That's Um, pretty impressive. Yeah, (laughs) I can totally relate to these characters, and what they're going through, and, and the people around them being completely confused, and thinking, wow, this person's not acting the way they usually do um so for me it's definitely personal and i think i'm having so much fun with the show and i think it's translating into what the um the actors are doing on stage at least i hope it's translating i think they're having a good time <laughs> and i think the audience will have a great time too and for me not being a twin i i'm also in this show i'm cast as one of the dromeos which has been so much fun so i'm cast as one of the twins and for me what resonates is like mistaken identity and people taking you for just what they see you as, not for who you are. So nobody takes the time to see if this is actually their Dromeo because they just think it is. So they just start talking just based on what the person looks like and acts like instead of what they say and what they feel and their thoughts, you know? So it becomes this mistaken identity kind of concept. And I understand there are so many different ways to do these shows. I know a lot of people, uh, they get very adamant about we must do Shakespeare traditionally and such. And frankly, as a Shakespeare scholar, as well as an actor, I wonder what that means, doing Shakespeare traditionally. But uh, I do understand that with this show, you have a rather dynamic way of producing it. Uh, Would you be willing to get into what your concept is and how you're presenting this? I would love to share that, Michael. Um, so I am older than I look, <laughs> and I grew up on um, Nick at Night when they played sitcoms, when it was for adults, playing old sitcoms. So for me, um, 1970s sitcoms like um, Three's Company and One Day at a Time, those are very um, precious to my childhood. So come I and knock on our door. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> that you should come and knock on our door. So, <laughs> um, and so I have taken that... Um, theme of sitcoms and realized that Shakespeare, I think, wrote the first sitcom. There is slapstick, there is mistaken identity, there is people that want things they can't get, and it feels, it felt like a sitcom when I, the first time I read this play. So 
I thought, hey, let's run with that and turn it into a sitcom. So we're actually presenting this as a live recording of a studio sitcom. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I think it will. For me, not doing traditional Shakespeare helps the audience understand what you're doing because it feels more relatable to them, even if this concept actually may be a little too old for some of our, even some of our actors weren't alive. Um, <laughs> for running. That hurts um, me, Allison. It, it does, hurts me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was alive. But, but it, does, it does make it feel more fun and like they don't have to try so hard to understand it because it's just something that's already in their culture. They already watch TV. So it, it automatically makes it easier to, to grasp what's going on. That's right. Do, do you go so far as to have a laugh track in this? Um, I thought about it, actually, and I realized that we don't need it because you laugh when, when you're supposed to laugh. The audience is going <laughs> to laugh. <laughs> but it was originally an idea I had, and I, and I decided we didn't need it. We, we are our own laugh track. Well, I have to say, a, a lot of people, when they hear the story of Comedy of Errors, and I'm not going to give it away, certainly online, uh, w- we do hope that people will come check this production out. Um, and But... I have to say, Christina's endorsement of it is out of this world. She's always in a great mood when she comes out to the car after rehearsal. But for, for those of you who think, oh, this is goofy, this would never happen in real life, I do have to share with you one story. I, as I mentioned earlier, I do teach here at Dixie State University, and I always used to think that whole thing of identical twins not being able to tell them apart, well, that would never happen to me. Of course you can tell the difference between the two. And for an entire semester, I taught a class called Intro to Theater. And for the entire semester, I would have this one kid who just had no memory whatsoever. Uh, you know, from one class to the other, he'd say, I don't remember doing that. Or, you know, what is this? Could you explain this again? And this kid drove me crazy. Absolutely crazy. And it was only at the end of the semester, I kid you not, you know where this is going. Where he came into my class with his twin. And, of course, on my face, you know, I'm trying to say, oh, yeah, you guys got me, ha, ha, ha. And inside, I was like, oh, you jerks. But uh, it's interesting that the stuff that happens in Comedy of Errors is not that far outside of reality. It's really not, because people, if they don't know you're a twin already, they just assume that you are your sister or your brother. When I went, when I first moved um, away from home, I went back to visit my sister after about a year, and she had moved to a whole new city because she had a bunch of new friends that had never met me, and I show up to a Halloween party, and my sister was like, you go in first to see if you can fool everybody, and I did, and everybody kept calling me my sister's name and saying, oh, you changed her hair, (laughs) and I just went with it until she came in the room, and all of them stopped talking immediately with the, oh my gosh, (laughs) this is so (laughs) freaky, and they didn't know, and it was a good 20 minutes that they did not know which, who was who or that, that I wasn't my sister. It was pretty fantastic. Well, I do hope that our listeners are hearing the fun that we're having talking about these real-life <laughs> situations. Uh, and unfortunately, what always happens on this show is we start running out of time, just as things really start going. But I do want to ask, what are the details of Comedy of Errors? Where can people get tickets? Where can they go? Well, um... Tickets are $5 at the door here, so if you just show up, we'll find a seat for you. Um, and it's at the Frontier Homestead Museum. It's this Friday, Saturday, and then Monday, so November 1st, 2nd, and 4th, and the show starts at 7.30. Fantastic. How, how long does it run? Are we talking about this is a three-and-a-half-hour Shakespeare, or what are we looking oh, at? Oh, goodness, no. It's just over um, an hour and 45 minutes, right about there. Fantastic. So it'll be nice and fast. Gotcha. And uh, I have to ask, because all of my uh, listeners do ask this quite often, as a matter of fact, will there be concessions? There will be. We have, we have concessions, yeah. <laughs> I think that brings in two-thirds of the audience. Swag, so, too, so. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. I want to thank uh, both uh, you, Allison, and Nicole for joining me on the show today. Uh, do you have any uh, further thoughts you'd like our audiences to know? We just hope some people come up here from St. George to support Women of Will because we have such a good time performing for Cedar City. We want everybody to come. <laughs> gotcha. I hope they will, too. We certainly will do a reiteration of all this information at the end of this program. Allison and Nicole, thank you very much for your time, and best of luck with this endeavor. Thank, thank you, Michael. Michael. Have a good day. All right. Take care. 
So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we've got Women of Will presenting Comedy of Errors up in Cedar City on, let's see, that would be Friday, Saturday, and Monday at 7.30 p.m. at the Frontier Homestead Museum up in Cedar City. I hope you'll take advantage of supporting this wonderful group of folks. And also remember that all you need to do is start your own art. Next on Footlight Parade, the final installment of our tribute to lyricist and director Martin Charnin, who passed away in July. And there will be lots more from Annie, including Easy Street. I'm Bill Rudman, inviting you to join me each week right here as we celebrate Sounds of the American Musical. Footlight Parade, Sunday evenings at 8 on Radio St. George 100.3. Magobee's, a fine sponsor of the radio program at Dixie State University. Magobee's Restaurant, for lunch and dinner, and with catering available too. Made with Magobee's Love, at 1450 Hilton Drive in St. George. Magobee's, a fine sponsor of Radio Dixie and Radio St. George. Sometimes it's too hot in St. George. 24-hour air conditioning. Sometimes it's too cold in St. George. 24-hour heating. Hi, I'm Angel Nava from 24-hour air conditioning and heating, and we're available 24 hours a day. 1-800-AIR-REPAIR. 1-800-AIR-REPAIR. P.S. Change your filter every month. I'm Angel Nava from 24-hour air conditioning and heating. What's up, sports fans? I'm Easton Smith with your weekly Dixie State sports update. Starting off with the men's soccer team who will play at Adams State this Friday at 3 p.m. and then at Colorado State Pueblo this Sunday at noon. Over to the women's soccer team where they play New Mexico Highlands at home this Friday at 7.30 p.m. and then Colorado State Pueblo at home again this Sunday at 1.30 p.m. Volleyball team takes on Western Colorado this Friday at 6 p.m. at home and then Colorado Mesa this Saturday at 6 p.m. in the sack. Now over to your Dixie State football team where they look to continue their win streak when they play Shattern State this Saturday at 1 p.m. for the homecoming game. For more scores, news, highlights, and more, tune into Radio Dixie 91.3. The Utah Council of Undergrad Research have issued a call for papers for their annual conference. With abstract submissions due by November 1st of 2019, the UCUR conference will be held at Utah State University on the 7th of February in 2020. All academic disciplines are encouraged to submit their research and creative work for this conference. The research office will provide venues for performing arts, digital arts, film, intermediate, poetry, and creative writing. For more information on this event, please go to research.us No batteries included. It's Toy Talk with me, Dr. Tasha Toy. I invite friends and community members in for probative interviews about relationships, self-care, and so much more. Join me for Toy Talk. Toy Talk, Wednesdays at 3.30 on Radio St. George 100.3 FM. This is Hannah with your Radio Dixie calendar for Tuesday, October 29th. From 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., there is a Southwest Symphony Education Outreach Concerts in the Cox Auditorium. From 12 to 1 p.m., there is Spanish Conversation in the Holland Building, room 477. And from 3 to 4 p.m., there is a club council meeting in the Gardner Center, conference room D. And that's your calendar on Radio Dixie 91.3. Listen on your mobile device with the TuneIn app. Search for Radio St. George. Welcome back to Radio St. George 100.3 with On the Arts. And now your hosts, Michael and Christina Hardy. And we're back for some more On the Arts here in St. George and Southern Utah. Now, we had the pleasure of talking to two representatives of Women of Will. That was Allison King, who is one of the founding company members, but also the director of their current production of Comedy of Errors that goes Friday, Saturday, and Monday uh, of the end of this week and the beginning of next at 7.30 p.m. at the Frontier Homestead Museum in Cedar City. We also had Nicole Hope Yerke, who is a spokesperson for Women of Will and also cast in this production of Comedy of Errors. Now, I mentioned that it's important for people to begin their own art. You don't have to wait for another organization to come in and take over, if you will, uh, or another organization to bankroll you. 
You can go out there and you can just get a group of people together and start doing it and let it grow. Start by loving what you're doing. Women of Will is a great example of that. And one of the things I'd like to focus on now is what happens after you've been a part of a group that begins. Uh, You oftentimes spread your wings and you go off as an artist and you create art in other places. Now, we have on the line uh, somebody who I've known for years, Devlin Ford. How are you doing today? I'm so good. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, in order to start this out, uh, I want to make it clear that On the Arts is about getting to know the people behind the arts. And uh, one of the things is knowing someone's name. Uh, Just -hmm. a little story about uh, Devlin and myself. (laughs) Just a few years ago, we did uh, Much Ado About Nothing at the Utah Shakespeare Festival. And I had been there for a while, and and there was a group of understudies that were, I believe at the time, SUU students who were brought in, and they were part of the company, and they had particular understudy assignments in this particular show. And I remember the young lady who had to play, uh, gosh, it wasn't Beatrice, uh, Hero, actually had to step away from rehearsals for a while. So her understudy, uh, a young lady named Madison Ford, actually stepped in to the role. And we were all pretty amazed at how wonderfully she stepped in. She was prepared. She kept the rehearsal going. She told the story beautifully. And I was like, you know, this seems like a person that I'd love to be friends with. Now, I don't know how. I absolutely do not know how, but instead of knowing her actual name, I had it in my head that her name was Nancy. And for the entirety of the season, I was calling her Nancy. And in fact, years later, I was calling her Nancy. Now, I want you to know, you're always going to be Nancy to me. (laughs) That's just fine. I I have no idea why. But uh, now, actually, uh, you are Devlin Ford, and you're actually, you're no longer in Cedar City. Where are you? in Chicago. Chicago. What took you out there? Um, a lot more theater opportunities and uh, the prospect of starting a company of my own. Got it. And uh, the prospect of starting one, like I said, you were involved with Women of Will. You were involved, involved yes, with was. Utah Shakespeare Festival. Uh, you were also mm-hmm. uh, Southern Utah University and such. I think it's wonderful to see that you can, once you've set yourself up in a place, actually go somewhere else and spread your wings, as I mentioned earlier, and see what happens. What's going on for you in Chicago? Um, well, so many things. We actually just closed. Oh. Are you there? Sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm getting another call. Let me silence it. <laughs> they are obviously not listening to On the Arts so here in sorry. Southern Utah. Everything good? Um, anyway, so, yeah, totally fine. It's just another telemarketer, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> because artists are people, too. So right. uh, I came out to Chicago uh, just in June, just a few months ago, uh, because one of my best friends that I met at SUU, she and I took inspiration from Women of Will and from other influences in our lives and said, we want to do the same thing, but we want to do it in Chicago, where it's actually not really being done. So we just closed our first production, and now we're trying to figure out what we're going to do from here. Got it. When you say uh, actually not being done, are you talking about all women companies with uh, classical theater? Yeah, there's, um, there's first of all, not a whole lot of classical theater um, that I've seen so far happening in Chicago. There's a lot of really cool modern stuff, a lot of experimental things, musicals, um, but outside of the few main companies there's not a whole whole bunch of Shakespeare happening or classical theater for that matter so we really wanted to work that into our mission statement to make, to bring to this artistic community that's already thriving uh, just a little something that they might be missing well, and and what is your company called? We are any other name company and how did that come about? Uh, well we were talking about um, talking about the name uh, really, really early on when we, it was still just like, this might be a weird pipe dream, but <laughs> if it happens. Let's That's how the best art happens. happens. Right? Um, we we were just spitballing Shakespearean-related names back and forth, um, and we came, I said something about um, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet, and my friend Carly, Carly McQuay, she was like, that, that's it. <laughs> we by any other name. We off of that. And really, it's a company that's not... It's not doing anything traditional 
But these shows done non-traditionally by any other person with any other name can be just as profound and meaningful as they were if they were being performed back in Shakespeare's day. Well, that's right. So that's what really inspired us. You mentioned that you're focusing on classical theater, at least initially. Mm -hmm. uh, And I believe you did Measure for Measure as your last production. Yes, we did. Actually, why did you choose that one? That's a really specific origin story. Um, So uh, me and Carly were at the Statera conference last fall. I think this year has just finished up in New York. Um, Last fall it was in Milwaukee, and Carly and I were just really excited about all of this great uh, energy we were getting from all of these female presenters, empowerment, and um, just all this creativity in the room that we felt we had potentially the impetus to start our own company. And we were really just sort of high on life, really feeling it, feeling good about ourselves. And then in the middle of that conference came the news that Brett Kavanaugh had been confirmed to the Supreme Court and that came to a room of 250 women, kind of like a sucker punch to the gut. Right. Um, and so, but then we realized this is, a, this is something that's still happening, and it's reflected so beautifully in Measure for Measure. That's what we should do. And in Chicago, with Not in Our House happening, um, and the Me Too movement was taking off, it felt like the right time and place for that particular piece. Got it. And I do have a question for you, uh, and this may be something I should have asked Women of Will. Clearly, by their title of their group, they're Women of Will, and it has many, many different meanings. Women of William Shakespeare, but also Women of Will. They have the will to go out there and do this and tell these stories and uh, represent the people that are in these stories versus the particular Mm -hmm. gender or or things of that sort. Um, You've got another company, Any Other Name, so you're not constrained by the Women of Will title. Why do classical and not, for example, more contemporary pieces? Why not write new contemporary pieces and such? That's a really great question. Um, And when we were creating our company and trying to figure out what our mission statement was going to be, we talked a lot about what we wanted to purposefully include and kind of draw some limits for ourselves, but also what we wanted to exclude to leave us a little bit of wiggle room in the future. Um, And we decided classical theater was the most important because it's so often, um, it feels like it's being gatekept, in a sense, by, uh, by academics and people with money. And, you know, Shakespeare isn't just for old, boring white men anymore. It can reflect... <laughs> I'm sorry, because I, speaking as an old, boring white man at this point, but, yeah, <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. But, it's, but so many people, so many children, I work a lot with kids, who can't see themselves in the story, lose interest. And I think that's true for adults as well. So if you're just looking at um, a window into a life that you have no relationship to, a story that you can't find yourself in, then you're not going to be looking for the message and the takeaways and the symbolism and all of the wonderful things that the directors and the actors are trying so hard to put together. You're completely shut off. So we wanted to purposefully structure our company in a way that invites people who feel like they might not have a voice, who feels like they might be a part of somebody or something more marginalized. Um, So if that leads us to having someone come to me and say, hey, I have an idea for uh, an all-LGBTQ 12th night. Great. Awesome. Let's provide you a platform to do that thing and tell your story and see yourself and your community represented in a piece that might classically be considered not for you. That's right. What really excites me about uh, several things, but really excites me about what you just said, going to the theme, if you will, of today's show, that when you start and you work with a group that you're, it's a small group, you're passionate about what you're doing, you just go out and do it. You do some theater. Mm-hmm. And by the way, another advantage of classical theater, this is for my listeners, is that it is public domain. You do not have to pay royalties that on this stuff. also was part of it. Right? <laughs> the, the logistical realities. Um, but what I love about that is not only have you created a group that is doing what you want to do and for the purpose you want to have it done, But now, what you just said is you're providing a platform for others. You're becoming one of those organizations that can support someone else's initial seed idea. Yeah, that's that's really the dream, um, is to 
we actually talked about it a lot at that Sotera conference we were at of uh, using your privilege and whatever you have in this world to build yourself up and then lean across the aisle and start pulling other people up with you. So we've got our foot in the door and we're just trying to usher as many artists and creative voices in as we can. Right. Well, how have you been received in Chicago with this? Honestly, it blew our minds. Everyone was so positive in the feedback that they gave us. Um, we had other artists who were saying, there's nothing like this happening right now. Um, people were saying that this felt really necessary to them. Uh, we had a lot of people who were admittedly hesitant in the beginning about uh, it being an all-female cast, but at the end said it made total sense to them. They could see why we made that decision and were fully supportive of it. So I think we... We really accomplished our goal in that we made, uh, we told a really beautiful story with some really fabulous people <laughs> and made it accessible to an entire audience group. And that was really important for us. And I think, uh, bravo for that. Uh, I think that's one of the wonderful things about theater is it really can bring these stories in many, many different ways to many, many different people. Y you mentioned earlier that uh, a lot of the classics had been gatekept, I think is the term you used, uh, by academics particularly. And I was mentioning to the Women of Will representatives earlier how funny I think it is when people say they want Shakespeare to be done traditionally. Right. And I think, I, first of all, I don't know exactly what that means. I think I know what they think it means. Uh, but I look at the fact that you've got Mark Rylance coming over with uh, British companies and doing, for example, an all-male version of Twelfth Night. Mm -hmm. where he plays Olivia and actually wins a Tony Award for it. Uh, you have that happening at Seattle Shakespeare and would know in Seattle. And to me, it just, not that it just makes sense, but it doesn't bother me at all that there's an all-female uh, uh, production or, uh, for example, an all-African-American production or, or what have you. Yeah. It just is about people. Yeah, totally. I completely agree with you. Um, I think it's really interesting to look at the the stereotype that you have between men and women doing these classical works, because nobody blinks an eye at an all-male cast, because that's Shakespeare's way. That's how it was done traditionally. So even if you're in modern dress and you do a completely different setting or whatever, the academics who are clinging so hard to this is the way Shakespeare should be done can still say, well, it's original practice with an all-male cast. That's nothing out of the ordinary. Um, but I, I do remember when we were involved Initially, with that very first Women of Will production, um, I was the education and outreach coordinator for that. Uh, we were there was a little bit of pushback on, but that's not what Shakespeare would have wanted. We're like, well, um, the guy's dead. How do we things, know? <laughs> Sorry to be so crass, but uh, yeah, yeah. We, we're in a different era. Yeah. But and let me ask you, so, what what is your future vision for any other name? Is it to just stay with this vision? Are you looking to expand, maybe have uh, uh, seedling groups come off of you? What are you looking to do? I That is a really great question. We, um, we've been so fortunate that we had such a great run and that everything went so smoothly. But immediately upon closing, um, as the artistic director, I'm still here in Chicago. My managing director, Carly McQuay, she's lovely just moved to Maine, right. um, and our director, Tiffany Allen, she's fabulous. She's in Utah. Uh, oh, and Tiffany. Working, so, yeah. yeah, Tiffany, she's great. Um, so all of the people that were making decisions have suddenly spread themselves literally across the country. Uh, we haven't really had a chance to talk much about what the future of uh, any other name is going to be, but ideally for me, I would like to see it move in a direction where um, at the, at, before seasons are announced, I can put out a call for directors with ideas of their own, not to set a specific season and ask for people to come to me with proposals for a set season, but to say, what do you want to work on in the classical canon? Right. Um, is there something that excites you that you really want to tell? And then, and build off of there and just start having conversations with artists that are local. Um, and also, I would love to start producing even though we, we've kind of boxed ourselves in with classical, um, people who are inspired classically, right. who are writing contemporary classical plays uh, that, are, that sort of follow the classical um, framework. So I've been talking with an up-and-coming playwright and getting some of their 
um, their works read and hopefully, ideally, I would love to perform some of their work because it is beautiful and Shakespeare inspired. <laughs> well, I, I always love to bring up to folks that even Shakespeare did not necessarily come up with totally original storylines. Uh, even though, <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So I think it, it, there is something, there's been a controversy between uh, Shakespeare festivals, for example, calling themselves a Shakespeare festival or a Shakespearean festival. And yes. That's been a, a conversation that's been going on for you know, a few decades, actually, with a lot of the summer theaters particularly. But I, I love yeah. that you're looking at people writing classically based and classically inspired pieces. Yeah. We're just, we're trying to keep it with as specific a mission statement as we wrote for ourselves. We want to keep it as broad as possible to really incorporate as many different artist visions as we can. Well, and I have to say, some of the most exciting Shakespeare, particularly in classical theater that I'm seeing around the country, are Shakespeare plays that are not adjusted, but told through a different lens. For example, yeah. uh, a, a Hispanic or a Latino Romeo and Juliet, or uh, yes. an African American Cymbeline, or something like that, just telling the story from a different culture's perspective. Exactly. And that's what we're really, that's what we, as white women, we're trying to use our privilege to build a base for. Well, that's right. To make it a little bit easier for people who might not necessarily get that shot to come to us and say, this is it. And we say, great. We can be as involved as you want us to be or step back and let you take it yourself. Whatever you need, we're here for you. We just want to help. Well, and what were some of the discoveries that you made doing Measure for Measure gender-wise? And it certainly is, uh, without getting political on either side here, it very much is mm -hmm. a judge, such as a Brett Kavanaugh or something like that, yeah. somebody who's touted as uh, uh, extremely virtuous and then caught in a position where perhaps that's not the case. Uh, what did you discover doing Measure for Measure? It was very interesting, um, especially having worked on the Women of Will piece before, where, for the most part, um, what, made, what makes it so wonderful is that it's a bunch of women who have known each other a long time, who are wonderful friends, reaching out and pulling other people in. Um, and then that first year, it was a lot of other friends who came in to help, um, which made the production feel so much tighter as an ensemble. Uh, we were a little worried here because we don't know anybody. <laughs> I just moved here. Tiffany came out just for the production. Carly's been living here for years, but it was um, she didn't have anybody familiar on our audition signups. And so we had a room of complete strangers who, by the end of this, were such a tightly bonded crew that we're, we had our one week off, and they were like, can we still get together, though? We're going to miss you guys. So <laughs> we've been hanging out and stuff. But what we found... And what's really interesting is that this wasn't just, um, we didn't want to fall into the trap of just bashing on men, because we don't hate men as an all-female company. Uh, in fact, a lot of them are married to some. So, <laughs> Those little uh, we secrets, really oh no. To not, yeah, we were trying really hard to, to not make it feel like an anti-male play, uh, even though the antagonist is a man, played by a woman. But what we found was it became a commentary not just on the way men treat women and sometimes treat them badly, but on the way that women perceive how men treat them. So what to just innocent passing by people might be like, that's not a big deal. You get to see it portrayed as the woman feels it. Like, well, I know when this has happened to me, it's felt this way, so that's how I'm going to play it as this male character. Um, so that made those scenes where Angelo is being particularly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Awful? Uh, yeah, there you go. That's, that's one of the many words I think could be used there. That's one of the there. many words you can use. Um, we really debated on how to stage that, whether we wanted to go for the shock value or if we wanted it to be incredibly understated. And we started with incredibly understated, but the further the actresses in the scene sort of explored it, it became somewhere in the middle of... This is how it genuinely feels, so even if it's just a touch on the shoulder, but when it's not wanted, it feels like, um, and then the visual of something much more aggressive. Um, so that's, that became a really interesting dynamic that we were finding in rehearsals, and that Tiffany so brilliantly was able to helm and steer and um, tweak to make sure that it was still 
it was serving the story as opposed to overriding the story. Right. Well, uh, let me ask you, uh, Devlin, how was it going from Southern Utah, because after all, this is on the arts, about the arts in Southern Utah. Yeah. Uh, how was it going from Southern Utah to a metropolis like Chicago? Oh my gosh, it's insane. I still don't <laughs> know my way around. Um, it's, it was incredible how quickly we were able to find a space. That was the one thing that I was really worried about, was we'd have all of these wonderful ideas and then no place to put them, because in... Uh, in southern Utah, it's there's not just a bunch of empty storefront theaters waiting for someone to come in and pay rent and hang a light, and suddenly you've got a show. Right. It's, you've got to do a little more finessing. Um, so I was prepared to like hit the streets and really do some door-to-door knocking and seeing if there's a restaurant we could host ourselves in the back of or something. But uh, no, it turns out they, they just rent you theaters here. It's great. <laughs> just a theater for rent? But I will tell but it's you, it's much colder. So, oh I'm, yeah, I I'm imagine not sure right which now. Is the better trade. <laughs> yeah, it's a little chilly. I'll tell you, some of my favorite theater in Seattle. Uh, I spent a few years up there being an actor. Were in the front of a deli, as a matter of fact. And <laughs> what they would do is uh, literally at five p.m. the deli would close, and then they would clear all of the tables and set up a little platform stage. And I, I'm, I love that. My favorite tagline that this is me being arrogant, but my favorite marketing <laughs> tagline I ever came up with was theater made fresh daily. That just made me very happy. <laughs> That's fabulous. But I I'll kind t- of hope they kept the tagline even after the theater <laughs> went away. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to go back and see. And I'll charge them for some marketing royalties going on Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Let me tell you, any plans to come back here anytime soon? Um, I'm actually coming back to Utah on Thursday. Hey, on the arts, we influence folks. Gotcha. Uh, are you going to be able to see any theater while you're down here, back at your alma mater? Um, I I don't know. I'm just in for a real quick trip, just to sort of say hi to family and then bye to family and back. But Got it. I'll, I will fit in whatever I can. Well, Devlin, as always is the case, we run out of time during these conversations. Uh, but I want to let you know, whether your name is Devlin or Nancy, uh, I really <laughs> want to thank you for being a guest here on the show. And uh, Absolutely. Yeah, and best of luck to you and also your fellow company members for any other name. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. We will take it and run with it. All right. Uh, Devlin, have a fantastic day. Thank you. You guys, too. Well, that was uh, Devlin Ford, who is a founding company member of Any Other Name Company in Chicago, uh, also an alum of Women of Will. I'd like to thank all of our guests who were with us today from Women of Will and also Chicago. And I hope that this show particularly will have inspired you to go out there and make the art that you feel like you want to make. Go out there and Make a theater production. Go out there and write a song. Go out there and gather some friends with some instruments and put together some music. It's not about making money initially. It's not about being an incredibly well-known regional entity. It's about making art. And until you hear from us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m., remember to keep your focus on the arts. You've been listening to On the Arts with Michael and Christina Harding. Search Facebook, YouTube, Podbean, Spotify for Radio St. George to view video and podcasts of this show or go to RadioStGeorge.com.